This is episode 53 of the Landscape Photography Show, and on this episode, we have Matt Bishop coming on, and, and one of the things that I was so excited to talk to Matt with was how he actually wound up in Italy, spending time in Australia myself, like Matt did for the first 18 years of his life. I know how hard it can be to leave such a beautiful area. So I was really interested in his origin story of photography and and how an Australian from a small town outside of Melbourne ended up in Italy. We also talked about several different topics in photography and, you know, creativity as, as a child and how that can carry over into your creativity as a photographer, as an adult. Selfishly, I wanted to talk to Matt a lot about how to be a good father when you are a photographer also, how to be a good husband when you are a photographer also, and and our discussions in that were really eye-opening, so I'm going to get right to the episode. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Matt Bishop. And Matt's somebody that I've been following on social media, Instagram in particular, for quite some time now. And We've been messaging back and forth over the last couple months, I think, Matt, uh, of getting this scheduled and getting it on the books and actually having a discussion. I'm excited to just like hear your experience in photography and, and kind of what makes you tick as a person. And I, I really wanted to start off at the very, very beginning, like your childhood. I don't even want to jump into photography just yet. Um just because I spent six months in Australia when I was studying abroad, and it's a place that I've always been interested in. Tell me what it was like uh, growing up in Sorrento, Australia, and, and kind of where that is on the global map of the country. Okay. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on the show to begin with. I'm uh, very excited about having this conversation with you, David. Um, yeah. So I'm from a little beach country town in Australia, a little fishing town, fishing village called Sorrento, which is about two hours south of Melbourne, which is the um, a city of about 7 million people right in the south of, of, uh, of mainland Australia. Um, yes, yeah, so I spent the first 18 years of my life as a, um, you know, a kid growing up on the beach and I basically fished and surfed for almost every day of my life up until I was 18. What I mean, I've been to Melbourne before, and it's very, it's almost like to me, the city center is there. And then once you get outside of it, it's like grasslands almost. Yeah, it is. Yeah, lots of space, isn't there? Yeah, it's a beautiful city, though. Yeah, it is. And it's becoming even more beautiful in the, in, in recent years. It's, um, yeah, it's hard for me living in Italy <laughs> and seeing, seeing Melbourne grow so much because it is, yeah, it's an amazing place very dynamic, multicultural, and uh, yeah, great great place to live for sure. Now, I spent time in Queensland up on the Sunshine Coast. Did you ever venture up that way? Yeah, yeah, and I was a little kid. That was where we used to go when we were, you know, when we went on our, our summer holidays. Uh-huh. Were you up there fruit picking, were you? <laughs> no, just kind of like wasting time, honestly. I, You know, in college, it's funny, 
I always talk about like my major, I was a geography major and like environmental science was, was kind of one of the, one of the things that we had to cover. And that's what I studied in Australia, but man, okay. the, the university there, we had so much time off. I feel like I, I spent way more time going to the beach and traveling around Australia than I did in the classroom. Brilliant. Oh, you, I'm sure you got to see some good parts of Australia then. I couldn't complain. That's for no, sure. Yeah, and that's a beautiful part of the world. What was your experience as your childhood unfolded in the arts? Did you have one? Was there like an emphasis on painting or drawing or sculpting or anything like that? Yeah, there was. Since I was a little kid, I used to be. Uh, I wasn't the type of kid who spent time outdoors with friends kicking the football or, or riding bike as much. I used to I used to enjoy my company a lot and in doing so I used to paint a lot when I was a child. Um, I used to spend a lot of time fishing off the pier and just, you know, looking out into the into nature and just enjoying it for what it was, ever since I was like, you know, 10, 12 years old. Um, so I always had an appreciation for you know, for arts and all that sort of stuff and um something I wish I had have continued on with when I was older. My my arts teacher back when I was about 16 got really angry with me because I decided to drop it in the last two years of high school. But um, it's definitely uh, something that I felt that I had deep inside ever since I was uh, a little child. So you don't do it anymore very much? Photography. No, photography, mate. That's um, it's pretty much taken over my um, my artistic side, I, 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 would, I, would, I would say. Well, we're very similar in the fact that when I was in high school, I did some uh, videography classes, I did film photography, and uh, I remember my teacher saying, because I dropped it too my last two years, and he was talking about, you know, you really have an eye for this. I think you you would be really good at this if you decided to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um I was more interested in, in socializing and, you know, doing other things with my life. So I didn't, but I think it's always ironic how experiences like that can turn into something later in life. Yeah. Cause I think when you're younger, you're, you're so much distracted about other thoughts, you know, because you're growing up, you've got so much racing into your, your body. You're not, you don't, you're not quite sure what makes you what makes you tick. And I think when you mature and you get older, um, I don't know if you have this feeling that sometimes photography is an expression of, of you as a child. You want to bring those emotions back that you had uh, when you were, when you were younger, because they were obviously, you know, amazing emotions. And, and there's this impression, I don't know if you feel this, I, I strongly feel this, that especially when I'm out on field or, or when I'm in post-production, I feel like I, all these emotions are coming back to me. Well, do you have an example right off the top of your head of, of what that could be linked to? I, I think it's linked to the when you were a child, when you were doing, or even, you know, when you were a teenager, when you were having these sensations about, you know, the, the artistic part of, uh, your creativity or, you know, even out going hiking, enjoying nature. Um, God, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to describe doing it now. It, it 
makes you feel like you're bringing back those emotions about what it was like to feel growing up and, you know, what sort of made you tick. And I think a lot of people when they hit, well, you're a lot younger than me. I'm, I'm 41. You're in your early 30s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at the age of 41 with two children on a full-time job, a lot of people don't have the time to to express these feelings of of what they were like when they were a child. And and it is a great sensa- sensation to have those feelings coming back. Um, you know, I tend to, when I'm doing post-production, I tend to put some music on and listen to music, but music that I used to listen to when I was a kid, you know, because it, it, it encompasses that, that emotion. I do the same thing. Mm. Mm. That's so funny. Who do you listen to when you post-process? Oh, there's a lot of bands in Australia that you wouldn't know. Um, a lot of, uh, but I do listen to a lot of, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Black Sabbath, uh-huh. Led Zeppelin, uh-huh. the early stuff. Um, uh, yeah, then a lot of Australian music, you know, stuff that I used to hear when I was a kid that I used to be able to listen to when I was in the car with my parents, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, um, Why when people always say Led Zeppelin, they say the early stuff? Oh, because it's the best stuff. The first three, the first three <laughs> albums were the best. That was the that was the core of their, the core of their their expression was early in the beginning. Like most bands, you know, um, yeah, that early experimentation phase. That's when it all comes out. You know, that's funny. Are, do you think artistic children are, are better photographers? Um, good question. We'd have to ask because I don't know how many photographers out there were actually artistic as children. Um, mm. Look, there's a few people out there I know that have got a strong binding to it. A lot of people have discovered it later on in time. Someone like a friend of mine, Enrico Fossati, I'm sure you know Enrico. I think mm-hmm. everyone knows Enrico by now. He was, you know, as uh, you know, a teenager into his early adulthood was amazed by painters and he didn't discover photography until his early mid-30s. Well, we've had other talks with other photographers who have artistic backgrounds. And yeah. I think it's possible that it is able to allow you to relate things like um, deep compositional uh, ideas and, and ways that you can compose a shot versus, you know, color theory and, and, and different things like that. And even relate your photography back to some famous painters too but i've always been curious as to just people who tinkered with in childhood with with the arts you know how that related or or wired their mind back to photography and and seeing nature and, and being able to compose a shot of how they view something in the outdoors for sure look um there's other other photographers out there that technically minded their uh, they're amazing photographers, but they they the lack that artistic artistic composition, or like you said, color theories and things like that. You can you can notice that they're they're more of a technical type of person. So probably in an earlier childhood, I would say they might not have had that uh, that mindset. Did you immediately know when you picked up your first camera? Let's go back to that that first Pentax SLR that you picked up and okay. started using. Did you know that photography was going to be in your future? Yeah, yeah. The second I picked it up, definitely. I goose, oh, just goosebumps all over my whole entire body. Just the the rush of 
of capturing an amazing moment and um, being outdoors, you know, enjoying being in nature. It was a sensation that uh, that just, yeah, just filled me up with goosebumps all over. I mean, you know, I started out in 2002. So um, for me, it was different. It wasn't like taking an image and then sticking it up on on into your Lightroom catalogue later on. Back then it was a whole different process. You had to send your your negatives away and, and wait for them to come back and then look at them through a projector. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a different feeling. I'm sure if I had that, that, that technology available to me back then, I would have just, it would have completely taken over my life. Whereas back then it was more of a, you know, a, a balanced hobby. Well, we're late film versus what you're doing with digital now okay um i would say um back then i was probably shooting a lot more for me definitely um you know in the digital world now we have the influence of social media and and a lot of the times you're trying to to shoot photos to grab attention on a little iPhone screen or you're shooting because uh, you have to test out a new lens. And so you want to make sure that the way you're testing it is, is viewable to, to others or um, you want to gain popularity. So to by gain that popularity, you want to move with times. Um, I think when I was shooting digital, um, I probably had a bit more respect for being out in nature um, and just just enjoying the moment a lot more and just capturing it the way that I wanted to, because earlier on, I was the only person seeing those, those, those negatives. Do you long for that time though? Now? Um, yes and no. Um, I think probably after the first few years of, of, uh, of getting into landscape photography, I was, um, I started selling a few prints and I had a little bit of attention. Um, I definitely wasn't your Lee Frost or, or Tom Mackey or any of those big name photographers out there. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Back in those days, but the satisfaction of just having someone buying a print off you was, was an amazing sensation. You didn't have the help of social media in any way to do that. So, um, having, you know, your print on someone's wall was, was an amazing feeling. And not just that back then, you know, your, your audience, I was talking to this with Brent Bergham on another podcast. We were saying that today in the digital world with the social media influence, our audience is actually other photographers, not people who just appreciate photography as an art without Mm. being photographers. So it's become a bit complex, I think, and, and very judgmental about, about what, we, what we put out there now. What about from the outside world? Like go maybe beyond photographers, which is hard to do, like you just mentioned, with, mm. with social media. And, and that goes back to the accessibility and, and cost of digital cameras now. Like a lot of people can get their hands on them. You have great cameras and iPhones and, and other phones that we just carry around with us all the time. Mm-hmm. But from the outside world that isn't in our photography bubble, was photography and, and landscape photography more respected 
in the film days versus digital? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot more respected. Um, I remember up until probably about 15 years ago, there was an Australian landscape photographer by the name of Ken Duncan. And uh, he uh, basically started out in um, taking uh, panos. He actually had cameras custom made for him to build back then. And he was taking landscapes out in the Australian desert with just amazing, amazing images. Mm-hmm. And they were on everyone's walls at home um, because he was just one of many few photographers out there. So people, I think, had respect for it because it was less accessible. Um, you know, you couldn't take a. I think you, the fact that you that you can take an image now with your phone, people have lost that interest. Once you, you had to to capture an image, it was something very rare and your audience appreciated it a lot more. Does that make sense? Yeah, so yeah. It, it's saturated. Oh, it's definitely saturated, yeah. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. How does that make you feel about photography in general? Um, it has its positives and negatives. I, I love being able to, uh, to go out and field on maybe a workshop or in the past when I used to go on, on other people's workshops, being out on field with other photographers and, and um, you know, swapping ideas and being out in nature together and enjoying one thing together. It was an amazing sensation. It is an amazing sensation to do things like that. Um, so there's definitely more photographers out there so we can communicate more about, about, a, about a hobby, which back in, you know, film era was quite rare to come mm-hmm. across another photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, the great idea about, the great thing about, about, about this is, you know, you might meet someone who you would normally not have anything in common with at all, um, but you have photography. And I think that's great. If you can do that together and have a great time, that is an amazing, amazing thing. Um, so on that sense, I really, really enjoy it. I really enjoy the fact that, you know, you can, get onto Instagram or 500 pics and, and constantly see fresh new images coming out daily. And even you can get ideas from, from these images coming out too, which is a, which is really great. I mean, um, I used to buy um, the landscape photography magazine in the UK and that's where I had to get my ideas from. And, you know, that would come out once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was definitely a different story back then. Well, how, I'm, I'm, you mentioned you, that you're living in Italy now. I, I'm really interested in the origin story of that. Like, how did you wind up from Sorrento, Australia to being a photographer in Italy? Okay. Um, it's a very long story. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I basically, uh, as soon as I finished high school, I, I moved to Melbourne to go and study university. Um, so I left my parents and I moved up to, to, to Melbourne and lived with with four friends, and after three years of finishing university, you know, I uh, didn't go surfing as much anymore, and um, spent less and less time with the family, and loved being independent. And the day I finished university, I had another three friends at university, and we all decided to to go and buy backpacks, and um, and we were hiking at the time in some in some local areas around Melbourne, and we thought, why don't we go hiking and, and travel around the world? Let's go to the UK and earn some pound, 
so we can go and travel the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So I, after traveling in Switzerland for a few months without a camera, which I was gutted about, that's why yeah. I bought a camera to begin with, yeah. um, I ran into an Italian girl. in the. In, I think it was the very first day I actually arrived in the UK. I, I met an Italian girl, fell in love first sight, and a year later I moved over to Italy with her. What's, been, what's Italy been like for you? Very difficult in the beginning for sure because uh-huh. it's, um, it's a completely different way of life, different language. Your cars are drove, driven on the different side of the road. Um, uh-huh. uh, the way, yeah, just the whole entire lifestyle is completely different, you know. Um, and I was 23 years old when I moved over here. But I think being young made it a lot easier. If I were to do it today, I would find it completely very, very overwhelming and quite difficult to be flexible. You know, the older you get, the less flexible you are. So it was, um, yeah, God, it feels like a lifetime ago. Well, it basically was almost half my, what was it? Yeah, 17 years ago, I moved over here. Yeah. Hey guys, I just want to bring your attention to something real quick. Right now on my website, you can get a brand new free course on the next level compositions that you can get in landscape photography. Yeah, that's a free course. It's seven chapters. It's over an hour long. And I go through a lot of the topics that go beyond the bare essentials and the bare techniques of composition. These are the things that I use in the field once I do frame up my shot and whittle down my composition to something that I really, really enjoy. Also on my website right now, if you click on the learn tab, you can get any of my courses on my website right now for 33% off if you use the code David33 during checkout. Just to thank you for listening to the podcast and let's get back to the episode. Well, let's stick on the topic of, of flexibility. Um, this is okay. something that's been fresh on my mind. We were talking about it just a little bit before we started to record and talk a little bit about, you know, what your experience has been. And, and this is going to help me too, Matt, in, in a tremendous way is, is having a newborn myself. Um, what's it like being a landscape photographer and a husband and a parent? It's very hard to juggle all of them, that's for sure. Um, Before I had children, I was dedicating a lot of my time to landscape photography and uh, a lot of my – a lot of my – I went through a difficult time basically before I had children because my wife, uh, she uh, had cancer with uh, carcinomas in her body and had to, she went through a whole treatment, which was probably the reason why I, I stepped even more into photography back then, because it was a therapy for me to get through mm-hmm. hard times when she was sick. Um, and then once we had children, uh, I had to put a lot of it to the side. I couldn't think about photography anymore. Um, I had to think about my children and, and, and playing with them and working full time. And um, I'm lucky today that I have a, a very, very supportive wife who knows how important um, photography is to me. And um, she gives me, you know, I can't go out shooting once a week, but, you know, I I go to Patagonia once a year. I had workshops over there and I'm gone for probably two or three weeks at a time and, and, and uh, we sort our life out at home to, to do that. And um, 
and I had a few workshops in in Tuscany, which is only a few hours away from here, and mm-hmm. I get the the time to dedicate to do that. But I would probably um, like to have more time evolving as a photographer myself and experimenting on new things, which is is very very difficult when you've got a child there who who is begging for your attention and you have to give that attention to them. Yeah. I was going to ask how, how have you found the easiest way to relay to family, either a partner or a child, the importance of the photography in your life, even if you aren't doing that full time or to even make money, you know, it's almost like a pull and a draw for us who are, so interested and invested in that, whether it be a therapy or just an obsession of, of going out in nature, how do you relay that passion when like your kids are saying, you know, why do you, why are you going? Yeah, God, they're very deep thoughts, aren't they? Um, yeah, (laughs) these are just the thoughts that have been going through my mind, man. Oh, of course they are. I mean, you're at a, at a stage in your life now where, you know, I don't know if you're on the same level as me, but at, when I'm not working or I'm not changing a nappy, I'm thinking about photography. And to to put that aside is quite difficult. Um, it's very difficult. Um, God, that is a hard question. It is a hard question. It's something I've been trying to deal with for seven years. And you know what? I don't have an answer about about even how I, I deal with it. Um, I think staying away from social media um, to a certain extent is important um, because I don't think people realize how much social media actually takes over their lives. And if you're absorbed in photography and constantly you know putting stories out on instagram and putting posts up there and trying to get attention and trying to find new photographers and people do spend a lot of time doing that and i think to put that social media to the side and just say okay look i've got a three-week window per year to dedicate to photography out on field i can do my post-production at night time when the kids are gone to sleep or I can wake up early in the morning on six o'clock or six a.m. on Sunday when the kids are still asleep and do a couple of hours of post-production. You have to put that in your head. That's if you want to be a good parent. I think that's the best way to approach it. Mm-hmm. Do you have you ever struggled with resentment? Yeah, yeah, I have for sure. Yeah, yeah. In what ways? Oh, you know, you can be sitting on the sitting on the floor playing Lego with your six year old six year old child who's you know wants wants you to look at him in the eye while you're playing together and laugh and have fun, and you got your iPhone in your hand and you're checking out what's going on Instagram, and it's not healthy, you know. Put the phone away, especially when your child actually says to you, "Put the phone away." That's when you know that it's too much. Mm. Mm. That's got to be tough. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is. And that's unf- I mean, it's unfortunate in the way that if you want to stay active as as a landscape photographer on a community based level, you have to do some of it. Otherwise, you're just gonna, you know, going to be forgotten about, and it's something that you don't want happening. Especially if you want to continue to to do workshops and uh, and whatnot. Um. So how do you 
balance that knowing that these are your priorities set in place and these are your boundaries set in place. Mm. How are mm. you balancing your use of social media? Um, originally when you get the alert on your phone at the end of the week to say that, you know, you've your iPhone um, usage has gone up two hours per day and you realize that that's been caused by social media, that's a wake up call. And then from there, you just have to, put it to the side and just concentrate on, concentrate on your family, um, concentrate on your wife too. You have a partner there who, who also craves your attention and um, so to balance it, I think you've just got to use the appropriate time of day when, um, when you've just got out of bed and you're, I don't know, you're taking the rubbish out or, or whatever. And that's the time when no one else is around that you quickly upload a photo onto Facebook or, or, check out what, uh, what, you know, what other photographers are doing and use the time when you're not actually with family in that moment, you know? I'm going to play devil's advocate here with you, Matt. Okay. Um, just to challenge you a bit on this. Yes. Guys like Gary Vaynerchuk or, you know, other people who influence or talk about this topic uh, several times on social media itself say, you know, don't limit your time on the phone, you know, invite your family to be involved with the things that you're looking at. Um, whether, I mean, in terms of like how safe they are, obviously, of course. Um, what do you say to that? Like agree or disagree? No, I agree on it. Um, for example, with my six year old son, um, I let him listen to the podcast that I've recorded in the past with other people. And he finds it exciting to hear my voice on the radio in the car. Um, when I upload YouTube videos, you know, I always let the family see, you know, the video that I've just uploaded. Um, but past that, I don't, I don't go. That's pretty much as far as, as far as it is. You know, I might say to my kid, Hey, look at the photo that I just did, but you know, he goes, Oh, that's nice. And turns his head and goes back to playing his toys again. So, I think at that age, um, it's hard to hard to get him involved. I mean, I've taken my six-year-old son out on the field a few times with me, which is exciting. If you're going to go out and field, definitely include your family on, on going out. Um, if you want to go shooting at a low, you know, at a, a destination that's a two-hour drive from home for a weekend, take your family with you. Find find a nice B and B with a fireplace, and and um, it's got a playground and all that sort of stuff, and. Yeah, you get up in the morning when they're still asleep, go and take your photos and come home and be with your family. So I think that's a, a healthy way to involve them in it. Beyond that, I tend to tend to disagree. Would you ever wish for them to be landscape photographers? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. My, my wife in the very, very, very early times of being together, she actually banned me from ever taking a black and white photo. Because <laughs> she said, I Why? want... She said, I want to do it one day and I don't want you to take it away from me. And I said, okay. So I've never taken a black and white photo. And she will still get into it one day. I know she will, but um, it just uh, hasn't happened yet. Um, but yeah, definitely. I would love my kids to get into it. I think it's an amazing, it's an amazing therapy. Um, I would recommend everybody to get into landscape photography. Well, any form of photography, but I find the most therapeutic part of photography is actually being out in nature. And appreciating appreciating the nature in a, a condition that normally you wouldn't see under a light that you wouldn't see, um, 
you know, traveling up a mountain while it's snowing or there's thunderstorms, you wouldn't go up there normally if you weren't going to go and take a photo. So I invite people to do it. Definitely. Everybody. I found something really interesting on your about me page on your website. You say over the years, the progression into capturing landscapes was a slow and experimental one. What do you mean by that? Um, look, I see a lot of photographers out there now um, that have a rapid progression in a very, very, very short period. And, and, and I see them. I see these photographers out there that are, you know, they start off even, you know, guys that I've met out on field in the past, been on workshops with, um, who started out, started out in the very beginning and bang, within 12 months time, they're actually taking amazing, amazing images. Um, they probably haven't developed their own, um, their own style as such, but mm-hmm. what they can actually produce, uh, is, is amazing, amazing quality images and they're achieving that because they probably still live home with their parents. They don't have a full-time job. Um, they might have, uh, I don't have a partner. So they're spending a lot of time out in the field. They absorb themselves so much in it. Within a short period of time, they get very, very good very, very quickly. Um, I was listening to a, a podcast quite a while back with um, Alex Noriega. Mm-hmm. I think I said he's Noriega or Noriega? Noriega. 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 And he was saying the same thing. I mean, someone said, you know, how did you get so good so quick? And he said, I was obsessed by it. I had no distract, uh, no, you know, I didn't have anything in my life to worry about. I just spent every day shooting and I was on post-production and I just grew so quick within a short period of time. Within, on my side, I have always kept it as, something in my life that hasn't become an obsession and I have many other things in my life, you know, my family, um, I enjoy playing music. Uh, uh, I, I love my job. Um, I love being in the garden at home. Um, I love going away on, on holidays that aren't photographically related. And over, you know, uh, 18 years, it's just been a very slow progression because I haven't, had that obsession i haven't spent that time that maybe others have so i consider myself yeah as, as someone who has just developed slowly over time but having said that i think over a longer period of time i have my own style i would say um i haven't followed other photographers um work i've just basically tried to 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 develop what i thought was um you know my own my own way of of um of expressing myself uh, on a mature level uh, i would say does does that make sense is that clear or absolutely man yeah. do you think yeah. that's a healthier approach for me it for me it definitely was because i think a lot of a lot of other photographers out there and i know people who have done it even big name photographers i i won't mention their name but um a lot of other photographers out there who were you know, taking amazing, amazing stuff have had burnout. They've stopped, finished, because they were so obsessed by it in such a short period of time. Something happened that made them click and they just stopped. It's, it's quite sad to see. And I think that could be 
you know, one of the reasons why getting obsessed over it so much isn't a healthy thing. Treating it as a hobby, um, I treat it as a hobby and a part-time profession because on some aspects I do do professional work, um, but keeping it on that level is, um, is definitely a healthier approach. Experiencing the burnout, you know, myself, I took six months off without even touching a camera um, a few years ago. And just that was after uh, I think I'd been doing it professionally for two years. I was extremely young in my career as a photographer and, and just taking that time off and trying to figure out, you know, what happened for me it's easy to relate it back to your story too of, you know, you mentioned style um, and getting so good so fast is, is just, I think the progression that a lot of people are taking, especially with the impact of social media that we've been talking about this whole show is, you know, go out, find the icons that you photograph, take good photos and good light. And that's it. You know, mm. you can do that over and over and over for, let's say two, five, 10 years, but there has to become a point in, in my opinion that it, it means something more to you. There's a deeper connection to it and a deeper drive to it. Do you know what yeah, I'm saying? Definitely. I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think it should be, I consider landscape photography me is, is a it's a lifetime choice. I mean, I want to be out there shooting when I'm 80. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're going to get, if you're going to just get so obsessed by it and it's, uh, it's, it's very hard to describe. I don't know if other people have the, this, this, this feeling, but um, if you get so obsessed by it so quickly and, and get so absorbed in it and do get a form of burnout, how are you going to promise yourself that, that you're going to be able to healthily accept this as, as something you're going to enjoy for the rest of your life. Um, accept it as, as something that makes you feel good and and just let it go with the flow, you know, and include other things into your life that that make you feel good and, and let those things, you know, work off each other. I mean, I... Unfortunately, you know, this year I haven't been out in the field as much as what I would have liked to with COVID. I was supposed to go on another workshop in Patagonia and another one in Tuscany and I had those cancelled um, and, and I haven't spent much time out outdoors at all really. Um, but I'm starting to feel now that I need to get out. I'm waiting for summer to finish here. I'm waiting for the autumn to come in and I've already said to my wife, October, I'm taking three, four days out and I need to get outdoors for me. Not because I need to get out there. I need to show people that I'm active or, um, you know, here's me or, or whatever it is, or I can put up some stories or, or whatever it is. I need to get out there for me. I need, I need that journey to continue. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, I try to refrain from talking gear on this show. I, I did a lot of gear talk on my last podcast several years ago. Um, but it, it intrigues me that you do shoot with Pantax and that is such like, that's not even on the radar of a lot of people. Um, what's your experience with that and, and why have you decided to go that route? Okay. Um, the very first camera I bought was a Pentax, a 35 mil film camera, um, very basic settings, uh, 
uh, I used to use that operate that camera in full manual mode, and I, I waited up until 2007 to buy my first digital camera, which many people would consider who were photographing back then was very late on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I waited for the right camera to come out, and it just so happened that. Um, Pentax bought out a camera in 2007, which won the TIPA award in 2007 for the best uh, APS-C digital camera, which was a Pentax. And I thought, you know, I I love the Pentax. I love their lenses. Um, I didn't know anything else about any other brands, really. Obviously, I knew there was Canon and Nikon, but I didn't, you know, never shot them or anything like that. So I just thought, look, it's won an award. I, I can still use my old lenses and I thought, look, I'm going to step into digital now. This looks like it's a good period to, you know, the camera sensors were had better EV on them and um, it was it was something to do. So I bought, went out and bought a, a Pentax digital camera. And um, from there on, I just wouldn't actually think about changing brand. It's just, um, it's a quieter brand. Um, they get their, their market from their from the users that they've they've had for you know there's I know guys out that have been shooting with Pentax for 60 70 years who are still using their old lenses on their new full frame cameras to full frame bodies today and it's a whole different community world out there I've got a lot of contact with a lot of the old school guys out there and um and it's just sort of carried on from there and it's you know your you user interface on a camera is it's very important. You should it should be an extension of your mind. You shouldn't have to think about setting your camera up if you're out on field taking an image. It should be natural for you. And Pentax has always been natural to me on that level, um, probably because I've just been used to the interface and I actually feel like the camera is custom made in my hand and it, it just always has been. Have Plus you ever thought about what you would do if they went out of business? Yeah, I have. I, had, I have thought about it a lot, but um, I know that they're – their market is their current user base and mm-hmm. yeah, they're not going to lose their current user base because they're bringing out cameras that are just as good, if not better than the majority of your cameras on the market. And they're using Sony sensors, um, you know, they're excellent cameras with waterproofing. They've got amazing waterproofing on them. Um, five axis tilt screens which is excellent for for landscape photography and yeah many many functions that a lot of cameras don't have which I would actually struggle um, to not have if I was to change brand I would if I was to buy a Sony now I would I wouldn't like it also because I go out and shoot when conditions are you know it's just stopped raining or you got thick fog or it's snowing or whatever and um, a lot of the time the camera is actually hanging around my neck. I don't even put it in my bag mm-hmm. um, because of the waterproofing and stuff. I, I would actually feel out of place with with another brand. Um, yeah, that's pretty much why I've stuck with them. And if, yeah, if they did go out of business, I would be gutted. I wouldn't know what to do, to be honest. <laughs> well, let's, <laughs> talk- <laughs> let's talk dynamic weather. I mean, you go down to Patagonia and you've mentioned this throughout our discussion, what's the draw of that landscape? You know, obviously in insane landscape, intense mountains. Um, what do you find new about it every single time you go? Okay. Um, 
I have a, I have a very strong connection with Patagonia. It all, it all goes back to the first time I went there on a holiday, which was a non-photographic holiday. I, I took my wife out there just after, like I was saying, she had, she had cancer for many years and the, the oncologist finally gave her the okay and said, you're clear, you know, you don't have, your metastases are gone. You don't need any more therapy. And back then it was, my wife said she always wanted to go to Patagonia. And so we thought, why don't we reward ourselves with a holiday? And we spent three weeks traveling through Patagonia, which was amazing. I had my mm. camera with me, but like we talked about before, I wanted to dedicate the holiday to my wife and and not on a photographic level. Even I, I took a few snapshots, but I was never up early in the morning climbing up a mountain and leaving her in the hotel. Mm-hmm. So I had that strong connection with it back then. Going back now, especially the area of Al Shell 10, the light is never, ever, ever the same. That place just pulls in conditions every time that will blow you away, and it's uh, it's an incredible landscape. Um, not just El Shelten, there's so much of it that's just so beautiful. A lot of the places that I actually take people to, other photographers have never taken, have never been before. Um, so yeah, it's a great place to go to, and I can't wait to go back next time. Not just. On a, on a workshop level, but for, for me as, as a person, um, I've got a very strong connection with the land. Well, if somebody wants to go with you and, and find more about you, where can they go? Oh, you can find me on on, uh, on any social media, really. Um, the I tend to put my workshops up on my website, so at mattbishopphotography.com. Um, the next one, well, should have been uh, in April, um, but... That won't be happening, unfortunately, with uh, the current COVID situation, which has sort of ruined ruined us for the moment. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping 2022 will take off. Um, my very close friend over there, who I met the first time I went to Patagonia, has his own um, tour company over there, and he takes people all over Patagonia for you know has for the last 15 years. And we're actually contemplating dis- redesigning how to actually approach these workshops. And the possibility of maybe doing self drives, so we'll actually have many full drives to keep the people um, a bit more isolated from each other, and, mm-hmm. and and go in trailers, camper trailers. So yeah, they're just ideas that are floating up at the moment, and we just have to see what's what's going to happen. Well, he's Matt Bishop. Matt, I really appreciate your time and and just talking to us about your experience and thoughts in photography. Thanks. I had an yeah, excellent time having a conversation with you and um, I really appreciate what you're doing out there in the, in the photographic community. Your, um, your podcast is, is very, very good and I, I enjoy listening to it.